I hear a lot of people say we are community led, but really being community led, really having a two way dialogue with customers, building up a real relationship, beta testing products, that builds up trust, that builds up a relationship instead of it being just company and customer. You are building a community when they are really feeding back. Welcome back to the Fifth Wave podcast. I'm Jeffrey Young, Editor-in-Chief of Fifth Wave. Today, we're continuing our funding series by speaking with Dan Hardy, Chief Revenue Officer at Crowdcube, to find out how to prepare and execute a successful crowdfunding campaign. Crowdcube is Europe's largest private lending marketplace with a community of over 1.5 million members. To date, the platform has helped raise over 1.4 billion pounds, that is 1.7 billion US dollars of investment, and has worked with over 1,300 entrepreneurs, including ambitious companies such as Grind, Watchhouse, Brewdog, and Monzo. In our conversation, Dan walks us through the crowdfunding process and sheds light on how to build and capitalize on campaign momentum. We also discuss the importance of creating a narrative with your community and communicating a clear and powerful mission statement. Welcome, Dan. Thank you very much. Good to be here. I wonder if you could walk us through the crowdfunding process. There's uh, really three stages. Uh, There's preparation, execution, completions. And you will live and die of crowdfunding from preparation. It is the the, the single most important element of a crowdfund. Typically, preparation can be anywhere from four weeks to two months, depending on who you are and what you want to do. Um, The the legwork of a fundraise, so getting the T's and C's, the legals, the financials all ready. Um, But the most important thing for a crowdfund is really building on the narrative. You know, why is this exciting? Why is it relevant to investors and to retail investors? What's the next chapter of the business? Building up your comms strategy, really. Um, Within that preparation phase, you'll actually go out to your customers and and start getting them excited about the proposition, warming them up, educating them around investment. Um, So typically four to six weeks. You then go into the execution phase and that's when you're live. So people can actually ask questions on the platform, you know, look at the valuation, the terms and conditions, the share class, those sort of things um, and invest. And typically 21 day campaign is the window for um, investors to, to make a decision. And really during that period, you know, entrepreneurs, the be- one of the best things about crowdfunding is it's a very good, easy way to aggregate lots of your investor discussions. So you set the terms, you set the timelines, and you can drive all your conversation towards one page. Um, and then they, they have to decide whether they want to invest or not. Um, and then once we've hit the target or the end of the 21 days, we come off the site and then we go into what we call completion. So us doing the boring legal stuff, AML, KYC, capturing payment, shares, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, I understand you've, you've set a target. And if you don't hit the target, you don't get the funds, really. Yeah, so it's a, a simple rule. You've got to hit your 100% target to then for us to close the round. So that 100% target is built on you know, your ambitions for what you're trying to achieve and what we're communicating to investors, um, but also things like a burn rate to make sure that people aren't raising not enough that, that, that they need for the round. So the, the reason why you know, hospitality works so well is because a lot of the time it's, it's modular. So if I'm looking, if I'm a you know, a grind coffee or a watch house mm-hmm. and, and I have five stores and my ultimate ambition is to go to another five stores and that may 
may cost me yeah. £3 million, but actually the minimum viable you know, execution for this round is to open one more store and that, that will cost me half a million pounds. So you set your target because it's an all or nothing game as the minimum viable financial plan that you can go and communicate to investors and what you need to execute that. And then you have the very powerful strategy of overfunding. So fundraising and crowdfunding is all about momentum and going out to investors and saying, look, we are oversubscribed. Um, you know, uh, supply is outstripping demand. You know, we are, we've hit our target. We're now our own overfunding is a very powerful tool. And it's exactly yeah. the same when it comes to crowdfunding. So being able to hit your half a million pounds quickly um, and then start overfunding is the best message to go out to investors. So companies like Grind, Watch House, and, uh, you know, all, all of the very successful crowdfunds have done that where they can, they know because of their audience and private investors lined up, they've probably got the target covered pretty quickly. Um, and then they can actually push on to the ultimate goal, which would be two, three, four, five million pounds to, to be able to execute their plan, their wider plan. Mm. So in addition to the actual funding, there's a, there's a massive brand communication benefit. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I was listening um, yesterday to um, David from Grind on, oh, yeah. on this podcast, and mm. I think he, he summarized it perfectly. Um, you know, this is about, you should see this as part fundraising, part marketing. Um, and really the benefits to crowdfunding, and again, why hospitality and coffee and you know beer and wine lends itself so nicely to crowdfunding is because you can, can combine those two things if you close a couple of million pounds worth of investment but also you know a hundred thousand people see your brand and who you are and your offering you're not only going to gain the money but you're going to gain a massive marketing exposure um i spoke to one entrepreneur who said it's, it's the single most important marketing campaign they've ever done just right. because of the brand exposure plus the money plus the the brand advocacy that they built through it yeah and there's obviously a bit of game theory built into this with that threshold where you've really got to kind of, as, as an entrepreneur probably needs to do and be very res resolute about what you're trying to achieve, yeah. crystallizing what you need. Yeah. Obviously a bit of game theory in terms of, uh, I probably want even more if I can, but I'll fail if I don't hit that exact number. Exactly. Often we go through the exercise with the founder when they say, I need 2 million pounds to execute this. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, if you raise 1.9, could you still do it? Yeah, I could do it. Mm -hmm. I just have to move slower or, mm -hmm. okay, if you raise 1.8, could you still do it? Yeah, probably. Mm -hmm. It's when you go down and down and down and it's the point in which you can't execute your plan. No, under a million pounds, I can't execute this plan. Great. Right. So this is the bare bones of the plan. That should be your initial target. Yeah. That should be your target you go out to. Now, it means you move slower. It means you hire one marketeer, not five. So you move slower, but you get to the same point. Yeah. It just takes you longer. So, But understanding that, I think, from a fundraising and crowdfunding perspective mm -hmm. is super important. Momentum and going to investors to say, look, of the million pound target, we've now raised 1.5. It's the single strongest message you can go out when you're going fundraising and crowdfunding yeah. is, is no different on that front. And when you go over, how far can you go over? You can go uh, over as far as you'd like, as, as far as your valuation and dilution um, allows you. So in the UK, you can raise up to 7 million pounds because of a prospectus limit. So... Okay. Um, we are held by a prospectus limit that says up to seven million pounds, you don't need to produce a prospectus, which is a very heavy right. legal document mm -hmm. akin to going to public, you know, going IPO. Yep. Um, so yeah, you can overfund up to seven million. That's usually the, um, the amount. And then in Europe, we've got a five million euro prospectus limit. So for the later stage companies, there's a, a 13 million um, limit. Um, but otherwise, it's more about valuation and dilution. So ultimately, that entrepreneur... Um they can stop at any time? Yeah, exactly. So all of those amounts will be agreed before we go live. 
they say, look, my initial target is £150,000 and we're giving away 10% of the company for that. Mm-hmm. Um, the top limit at this valuation that we're, we're willing to give away mm-hmm. is 20% of the business and that mm-hmm. would equal 300000 So as soon as you hit 300000 we come off the site and nobody can invest. Mm-hmm. They've missed out on the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we close the round. Hopefully they go away, invest the 300000 grow the valuation and come back to us mm-hmm. and raise a load more. So you fund lots of different types of businesses yep. and hospitality being one of them. Just talking generically at this stage, what is the key to a really good uh, fundraising? You know, I mean, it's a campaign, sure, you get the campaign right, but what, what are the fundamentals that have to happen for people to buy into it? I think one of the major things um, is creating a, a really clear, concise mission statement. So I, I always speak to people about um, BrewDog, now, the reason why BrewDog, they were a real pioneer when it comes to crowdfunding. We worked with them back in 2012, uh, 2013, you know, before crowdfunding was really on the map. And whilst they had a great business model and, you know, they benefited from a, a growth in craft beer in the UK, with, when it comes to crowdfunding, they didn't go to everyone and say, look, we've got a great business model where we brew our own beer and sell it in our pubs. They went to people and said, look, this is a movement. And they coined the phrase, life is too short for shit beer. Yeah. And people could get behind it, you know, they were like, you know, people feel passionate about yeah. the beer that they drink and yeah. they, they align themselves to that. So, you know, the likes of, of BrewDog and even uh, financial services, you know, Monzo and Revolut, they were there to improve broken banking. So I think anyone that's looking to crowdfund needs to work on a clear mission statement, um, which sounds easy, but actually is, is quite hard to make it really concise and powerful. Yeah. Um, so I think that's one of the fundamentals is making sure that you've got a clear message. The second part is, is just around preparation. A lot of people think that the strength of their business, they can rely on that to, to raise money. But actually, crowdfunding is about executing. You need to look at this like a marketing campaign and you need to break apart the, the elements of your business that are exciting, the next chapter, be able to talk to people at length about why is this relevant to them? why they should get involved, why, you know, what does the next chapter hold for the business? So, you know, really understanding that this is a, a part fundraising, part marketing, and the value of that is often overlooked when it comes to crowdfunding because people think, look, it, I, I know this company, they raise a million pounds, it looks mm-hmm. easy. I'll just throw it up there like eBay or Amazon. Mm-hmm. It's not the case. Generally, it's all about kind of preparation. So giving yourself a good window of time to be able to properly prepare for a crowdfund and execute it properly is, is, is really important. Um, and the other one is a community. And I hear a lot of people say we are community led, but really being community led, really having a two way dialogue with customers, building up a real relationship, beta testing products, you know, asking them for feedback on branding, on messaging, that builds up trust, that builds up a relationship instead of it being just company and customer. Yeah. You know, you are building a community when they are really feeding back. So I think the, if people haven't started that, there's no better time to start that, you know, and, and I think people need to really do that and be very honest with themselves about their community. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. do we just sell to these people or do we really bring them into the business and, and get feedback and build the business around them? And what about the actual financials? How important are they to a campaign success? I mean, you don't always have to be profitable or do you have to be? Nope. No, no, you don't, you don't need to be profitable. Um, we work across a, a really wide range of companies and crowd groups. So we, we raise anywhere from, like I said, £150,000 to £20 million and go from pre-product, pre-revenue, pre-profit, 
companies all the way up to pre-IPO companies. So it's a huge range and it really depends on, on who you are and what stage you're in. Mm-hmm. You know, at the very early stage of, of running a startup, your financials aren't as important. You know, the fact that you're profitable or not, you know, doesn't matter at the moment because you haven't got product market fit and you haven't scaled the product and, and those sort of things. Um, but as, a, as an entrepreneur, you need to know your financials. You need yeah. to be able to answer questions about it and how you're going to scale the business and to understand the problems and bu- to build up the, the picture. But no, I mean, it, it depends on what stage you are. Obviously, uh, as you build and as you, you know, have more outlets, more restaurants, more chains, then the financials become very important. Mm-hmm. But at the earlier stage, it's not really important. You know, valuation is important, definitely. Um, and the financials bleed into that. But at the early stage, it's very, very difficult to you know, value a company perfectly. Okay, valuation is important. You know, how can you, give us a concrete example of the valuation versus the actual um, profit. So valuation for early stage companies, you know, when you haven't made much money um, or you've got your first store and you're still waiting to have a full year worth of accounts, valuing that business is very difficult because a lot of it is going to be in the talent of the founder or the brand that you're building and, and hasn't yet been realized. So. You know, we always talk about valuation as part art, part science. And you need to know as an entrepreneur how you've got to your valuation from a financial perspective. Yep. But at the early stages, you know, revenue multiples or profit multiples, because your revenue and your profit fluctuates so much as you grow, it's not as easy to predict. It's your best guess of where these two things are going to end up. So really the science you need to understand, but a lot of it in the early stages will be down to the art versus you know you as an entrepreneur ability to sell the vision of the company and the brand and where you want to take it and then ultimately your job is to give as little away for as much as possible as an entrepreneur but investors have to feel like the balance of risk reward is being balanced by the valuation so versus when you get a little bit more established you you have got established revenues you have got established profits and then you you know it becomes a bit more of a science yeah but there's always an element of of science and art with it is there any kind of stereotypical percentage of a, of a business that successful crown funders give away? Is it, you know, I mean, it's, uh, is it 5%, 10% or do, are the better crowd funds when, when it's, you know, 20%? How does it work? I th- look, I think getting evaluation correct or as close to correct as possible is important for fundraise and crowdfunding is no different, right? So, you know, people that give away a lot of equity, um, it is attractive to investors because you're balancing that risk and reward. Yeah. Um, it depends on who you speak to. People can say that, that yes, you should give away 20% in your first round and you should give away 10%. But for me, it, it's a little bit more bespoke than that. Um, yeah. And I think where you know platforms like CrowdCube can help is showing you lots of comparable data. So look, here's five, 10 examples of companies in your similar state and what they raised at. Mm-hmm. Give you an idea and build up the picture of where you should be. But like I said, there is no one right number. Generally, if you look at comparables and metrics, it will build up the picture that your, ba- your business should be valued between five and seven. Yeah. And it's your ability as an entrepreneur to sell it that will mean it will be closer to five than seven or seven than five. So what does it cost? Typically, we take a percentage of what's raised. Um, so our headline figure is 7% of the fundraise. Um, and then the other costs, I suppose, are, are the ones to consider our time and any other marketing and, and things that you put into it. Um, time is the big one. You know, it, it is an involved process and it's a three-month process from start to finish and people often underestimate that. Um, other costs, you know, some people, they go crowdfunding and they think they need to reinvent the wheel when it comes to marketing and when I need to buy, 
you know, big event and I need to buy digital and I need to buy, you know, all of these different PR and press things. Mm-hmm. It's not the case, to be honest with you. No. What you need to be good at as an entrepreneur when you go crowdfunding is speaking to the people that you are good at speaking to, which is your customers. And if social media is your strength or if print media, you know, um, Honest Burger and uh, Grind, uh, Watch House, they were all great at being able to leverage their strengths, which was, you know, Grind had a, an awesome uh, put your money where your mouth is campaign. So anyone you walked into a store, it was covered in, in um, print media. Every cup had it on it. Every yep. receipt had it on it. Mm-hmm. So they were very good at that. You know, Honest Burger gave away 100 burgers on the first day of the campaign to, yep. to build some, some yep. buzz. So um, yeah, th- there are costs around those sort of things, but I think lean into your strengths and, uh, and it shouldn't be too costly, really. Do you get involved in any sort of like community type projects or are there any kind of, I guess, hybrid, not, not necessarily super commercial projects where people just back ideas because they they like being involved in that community and they want the concept seed or is it literally just purely financially driven from the investor's point of view so we can't work with certain structures so um we can't work with charities we can't work with um ngos we can't work with those sort of structures um, so there does have to be a financial element in it that a business can grow and deliver a return for for a business yep um, but there is a definitely an emotional connection with crowdfunding. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're, we're seeing, um, that clean tech is one of the biggest growth areas on CrowdCube. Um, and that's both because of the opportunity financially, but also I think more and more people are wanting to make investments with impact. So, um, actually if I can make a great investment from a financial perspective, but also help the world, then I, you know, I feel, I feel okay. good about that. So yeah. th- there are definitely examples of, um, you know, clean tech impact green businesses that are doing incredibly well and that have done incredibly well at CrowdCube because people are aligning their values to that. We've kind of talked more generically, um, but what about hospitality? Is hospitality an an attractive investment vehicle for for people out there in in the CrowdCube community? Yeah, I I think it is. We've we've been very lucky in working with some great hospitality uh, businesses, whether it's, you know, uh, restaurants, chains, uh, breweries, Coffee, beer, wine—we've yep. we've done it all. Um, I think it—I think it really lends itself very well to crowdfunding for a few reasons. Um, firstly, you know, they build communities, and you know they've got to stand out and and stand for something and people and align themselves with their customers. But the second thing that people often miss is that, especially in the UK, it's emotive. People really give a shit about what they drink, eat, consume, where they eat, and so that that really helps. When it comes to when it comes to crowdfunding, if if people care about it, it strikes an emotion in somebody. I really believe in this, you know, coffee brand yeah. and what they're trying to do. Then they're much more likely to invest. And when it comes to again the difference between raising a million pounds from one person who's going to be incredibly financially driven versus a thousand pounds from a thousand people, and that they're going to eat and drink in your stores and and hospitality yeah. uh, venues then actually the, the, the risk appetite and the risk profile is very different in terms of what you're going to do and your relationship with that person. So there's all this upside, great platforms. Um, how do you guys market the, these opportunities? You know, yes, it's up to the entrepreneur to do the preparation, to kind of prime their marketing. But what does, what does the crowdfunding platform, how can they help? Presumably a pretty big database, a lot of data. Yeah, yeah, a lot of investors. Um, for us, um, it's about leaning into our strengths as a platform. So we have 1.5 million registered members on the platform. 
that breaks down to around 400, 450 repeat investors. Um, and for us, look, our two major strengths are email and social media. So social media drives attention, eyeballs, uh, interest, whereas the uh, emails are really, they accounted for about 40% of all investment on the platform last year. So, you know, very effective at converting people from interest into investment. Um, and then the, the other thing is, is the tools of the platform. And that's, again, a, a kind of top tip around crowdfunding is really understand what drives our platform. You know, we've got an algorithm, we've got a, a kind of engine that works around driving, taking people from consideration to interest to investment and, and going down the kind of um, investment funnel. But understanding that, understanding, you know, we have functionality like a follower functionality where if an investor is interested, they will link their personal account with that campaign. So okay. if you hit milestones, if you fund, yeah. then you get emails straight away. Um, and there's a number of different tools on the platform that entrepreneurs can use, forums, updates, uh, you know, request business plans, those sort of things where you can start to build up the dialogue with investors. So understanding what you've got, the levers you can pull on the platform is super important, but we do lots of um, email, social media, and in-person events, digital events, webinars, those sort of things. And learnings on the downside, what can go wrong and, and how can we avoid you know, some really classic errors when trying to raise funds? I mean, look, the biggest thing is, is not raising money. Um, and, you, you know, you're putting a lot of time into, into a crowdfund and it not working. A couple of people have, have crowdfunded at the wrong times. Okay. So, um, you know, what the I mean? worst thing we can hear is, look, we're going to crowdfund, but we're also launching a new store at the same time. Or, you know, and, and they just don't have enough bandwidth or, um, you know, they're saying too many things to their community. You know, crowdfund and here's a new store and here's a new product. So picking a right time to give yourself you know, fighting chance of being able to execute this properly is, is important. Um, and leaning into your strengths, not trying to reinvent the wheel. If, if you're not a digital marketing company, don't lean into digital marketing. If you've never done PR before, it's not going to be important for you. Um, but if you've got a store, um, use it, leverage it. Dan, thanks for joining us here today on Fifth Wave. Pleasure. Thank you very much. And that's all for this week's Fifth Wave podcast. Please subscribe to Fifth Wave wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've enjoyed this show, please recommend us to a friend or give us a five-star rating. And to stay informed, visit worldcoffeebottle.com to access all the latest global coffee news, including the weekly coffee dose, our newsletter sharing the breaking news stories of the week. This episode was produced in the one and only Serendipity Studios in glorious Camden, North London. It was produced by myself, Jeffrey Young, Hannah Heath, and sound engineering by Chris Bristow. And this week's song, in collaboration with the Coffee Music Project, is Dizzy by London-based artist Richard James. And until next time, stay safe, stay passionate, and stay caffeinated. She bears a kiss on me so carelessly before she goes As if I made no impact on her narcissistic world Back into routine, I won't hear a thing for days on end bell will ring and she'll be at my door again and she don't take it all no i just give it all what is it about you that i can't handle what is it about me that's not enough getting dizzy from love and these circles what can we do what can we do
best for me and what's best for me isn't you But when you're here with me, you're making me believe that the only one for me is you So when you're not around, I know what's best for me what's best for me isn't you But when you're here with me, why can't I see you know